The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. We do start in the capital city, though, because for the third time, the city of Twane, the municipality, going to try to elect a new executive mayor today. They were trying to elect, or sorry, there were, let me get this right. There was a vote of no confidence yesterday in the speaker, but that didn't happen because the speaker postponed that hearing yesterday. So now it looks like there is legal action that is mounting. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, watching all of this for us. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. The position of mayor of Tuane has been vacant since the 10th of March. That was when Dr. Murunwa Makorela had to resign in disgrace because of that court rehabilitation notice. What are we expecting to happen today? Good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, um, as you mentioned, this is actually a very good starting point to start with Makorela because, as you know, that Makorela represented the party court. So when Maguarela resigned, um, he was replaced by um, a gentleman named Justice Stefaniato. Now, as you know, um, Colin Makubela sent a media statement um, to journalists saying that Justice Stefaniato had um, two ID numbers and a criminal record, and um, they were withdrawing him. However, um, we, we uh, you know, there was also a faction with Dennis Bloom, the national spokesperson, who said, you know, this was all lies. However, to, today, the speaker of the council has told us that um, Justice Stefaniato has been replaced uh, by Cope, who was replaced with, with, a, uh, with a gentleman named Offense Mualusi. So his name is very important because um, five minutes ago, I just spoke to George Majila, um, who is the ANC secretary here in Twani, and he said they are going to be supporting um, the Cope councillor, Offense Mualusi, as its mayoral candidate. So they are changing now from the PAC member. They're now going to be supporting um, the court councillor who was sworn in today. However, there is a bit of an issue there because, um, as, um, because as I said, Mandy, that um, the man who replaced Justice Stefaniato, um, he is going to be challenging his removal in court, saying that his removal was not, um, was not, uh, was not lawful, okay. and that it was it was um, sort of um, sanctioned by you know by rogue people in the party, and you know just going back to that, um, there is also an allegation that um, Colleen Makubela, who is the COPE provincial coordinator and also the speaker in the city of Joburg, that she is in a romantic relationship with this new councillor that was sworn in, Offensive Mwandosi. And this is a question we put to Colleen Makubele. And it's not necessarily, uh, Mandy, a question about, obviously, this drama about her romantic love, but it, it is a question, obviously, about, you know, if, you know, are they, you know, concerned that, you know, positions in the municipalities, are they being traded in for, you know, for romantic partners. And as we do know that the city of Twani is very unstable. Colleen Makubele um, didn't answer for herself, so she referred all questions to Tom Mufukeng, who is the Hope Gauteng uh, chairperson. And this is what he had to say to the allegations that um, Offensive Mualusi was parachuted into this position in Twani because he is the lover of Colleen Makubele. Look, we are not going to talk about uh, things that comes from the street. As a party, we don't have 
that allegation, that allegation uh, put before us. So if it is, then it's something that the party will look into. But how many people, even if it is true, how many people that are married couples that are taking power into in political uh, offices? Many of us, we know, President Zuma was there with uh, Mem Kosasana Zuma. What is wrong in that is can we now as a party should we run around and look for people who are having relationships? Fair enough, but and, uh, yeah, I was coming to that. I don't know. That- uh, you know, I, I still get surprised by things that I hear on, on, like, on the radio, <laughs> even though I shouldn't. The news cycle should not surprise me. But if this is indeed the case, that Offense Mualusi is now being parachuted in, that he is in a romantic relationship, allegedly, with Colleen Makobele, and he is now going to be the candidate that the ANC is going to support, which means he could very well become the mayor of Tuane. Then, who knows where that leaves us? To be Sokoba, EWN reporter, thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, he'll be keeping an eye on that vote that's due to happen this afternoon. Teboko Luate is the Congress of the People National Chairperson joining us now. Teboko, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, the very fact that I need to ask you this, firstly, just so that we get clarity on where you stand, there are very clearly two factions within COPE. Uh, you are on the side of Monsieur Lakota, right? Well, uh, just to start with, I don't belong to any faction. Uh, I belong to to the Congress of the People, and my participation in that, I'm just focusing on what should be right in terms of the of code standing and its constitution. Okay, then. So the situation now with, with Colleen Makobele, there is a letter that is doing the rounds that Colleen Makobele has, in fact, been fired uh, from the Congress of the People. Um, there is some concern already about the fact that she is in Joburg, but she's also in Tswane. What is the status of Colleen Makobele? Well, currently, as far as we know from nationalists, that Colleen Makobele is a, is a councillor. Uh, with whatever position she holds in in, in in Johannesburg, in the Johannesburg Metro, um, and and also uh, that yes, it has come to our attention that there is this letter that is doing rounds, which uh, um, from our own knowledge that the, the that letter is is forced, the signatures they are forged. So as far as you're concerned, this letter ostensibly signed by Musiwa Lakota is in fact fake. Colleen Makobele has not been fired. No, not not to our to our knowledge. And I've seen the letter myself, I can say. Um, and and I can confirm that the the letter, the signature, Musiwa Lakota's signature with the president of Hope uh, has been forced and we advised him actually yesterday to go and open a case, which a case has been opened and we have been given the the case number. Okay, now uh, when it comes to Tswane specifically, now um, Offense Mualusi has been sworn in as the Tswane Cope Councillor. He, of course, has uh, replaced Justice Sifanietso, who himself replaced uh, the, the mayor who had to resign uh, in, in disgrace. Uh, is it your belief that Offense Mualusi will be elected as the mayor of Tswane today? 
Well, um, I, I can't confirm because I don't know what's going to happen there. All that I can say is that um, we we have we are planning to call in a, 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 a Congress National Committee meeting to come to get a report, a detailed report from the Houghton province as to what is actually happening in 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 Chani in particular and Houghton in general, so that we can be able to take a resolution as a party and give direction as to what needs to happen. Um, I, I have I have noted as well that um, uh, there, there are all these names that are being thrown all over and some allegations, as I was listening earlier. Uh, I, I don't know the, 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 the final details of those allegations, but uh, we are awaiting that the Secretary for Housing should be able to give us a detailed report and the CMC must discuss that report. Tiboko Loate, Congress of the People National Chairperson, thank you very much for your time today speaking to us there about the development. So the problem here is that there are these these factions within COPE, and I don't think they can deny the fact that they are factionalized, even though Tiboko Loate not saying that he's part of either faction. Uh, and this is spilling over into the politics of Twane, into the politics of Joburg, because Colleen Makobele was the speaker, and now we have the situation where she is involved in Twane as well, and these allegations which Brian Mkono, who's the COPE Twane spokesperson denied saying that Makobele was parachuting her lover into a position in council. Be that as it may, we're supposed to have a vote this afternoon. Twane could have a new mayor by the end of today, but this is the third time they're trying, so who knows what could happen. The Midday Report. Well, let's go to the Eastern Cape now because the President, Sir Ramaphosa, is visiting a number of flood-affected areas in the Eastern Cape today. We know that flooding has caused major damage to parts of the province. Public infrastructure has been affected. Four people confirmed confirmed dead as well. And Clank Lamabaso, KZN EWN reporter, is in Port St. John's. He's been following the President. Clank good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. Uh, tell us what the President is doing and what's he been seeing. I mean, the president is expected to arrive at 3 p.m., and that's according to your Tambo district municipality, but we do know that he will be visiting some of the most affected areas in and around the OR Tambo district municipality. But the most affected, mainly, I must say, is the Port St. John's, the coastal town here in the Eastern Cape. Uh, Eyewitness News has been on the ground since Saturday evening, uh, speaking to residents and community members who at the time mainly really were trying to recover from this flood. And, you know, a lot of people have had to throw away their furniture, which include uh, electric appliances, TVs and irons and whatnot. They say this actually is the third time that they had to do such many. Late last year, they've experienced flooding. Again, early this year, in fact, they've experienced flooding. But this is said to be the worst because they actually had to swim out this morning, eyewitnesses spoke to William Matoti, who told eyewitnesses that uh, she was actually in Johannesburg, where she works, when she received visuals now of her own house flooded. She sees their tenants in the yard were also affected. Let's take a listen. We've never been, um, yes, so we've never had water in, in this house. And when they sent us the videos, it was devastating to to watch. Um, I mean, as I've said, this is our home. It's very sentimental to us. And because we are not here, someone had to come down. And I actually had to travel with my helper from Joburg 
because I couldn't get anyone else to assist me mm. um, here w- uh, when I called. So I traveled with my helper. She was here for two days. Uh, she left last night because she had other commitments um, in, in Joburg. So, yeah, when I got home, I, I, I came home to a muddy house um, with furniture. So, Nkakla, many people you've been speaking to say they want a permanent solution. Uh, they want fewer government mm-hmm. promises. What do we know about what the president's going to be doing? Well, we do know, mainly that the president will first meet with officials here yeah, that include the, um, the, provi- uh, the provincial government, the premier of Kamabuyani, and uh, the mayor of the four municipalities, because four municipalities under this district have been affected, especially, um, like, like I've mentioned, uh, Port uh, Port St. John's is the most affected in Hill, also affected with about uh, 10 bridges or so that have been uh, collapsed. Now, the president will first meet with officials to get a brief and then visit the affected places before now going to visit the over 500 people that are housed at the youth center here in Port St. John's. Um, we are told that the, the reason why the president will arrive at around 3 p.m. is because the provincial um, government is currently holding a certain um, meeting into other things, and there, there was no way that it could be scheduled. Well, that's what I've had uh, here on the ground, but we do know that the president is expected to arrive at 3 p.m. In fact, as I speak with you, maybe I can see Vasu Kaun, that is the head of the Presidential Protection Service in, in the KZN province, but I see him here and other protectors now already securing this area, and that maybe can only give the sign that indeed the man will be here. Nkankla, thank you very much. Nkankla Mabaso, KZN EWN reporter, speaking there ahead of the president's visit to the Eastern Cape this afternoon, where he is going to be having a look, speaking to people uh, in that flood-affected area of the province. The Midday Report. Uh, good day, Mendy. Tibelo here from Orange Farm. Mendy, you know what? I'm so, so disturbed. I was listening to this Minister of Electricity. I don't know if it's ANC or what, but you know what? I left confused today. Last week, I remember I was listening to you where he said there's no corruption there. It is technicality. Yesterday, the man come. He says now it's corruption. What is to be believed here? I'm lost. Hmm, I think we're all lost, right? I'm not sure exactly. I know that he did say that it's not corruption, that it is technicality. He is having a look at, at different places as well. Uh, but that, yep, that, that's what he says. Uh, thank you for those WhatsApp voice notes. Please send, uh, send more 072-702-1702 or you can tweet me at Maddie Wiener as well. The Midday Report. It does look like we may be edging towards an agreement with public service unions. It is now up to Treasury because unions do seem to have got uh, approval for a 7.5% pay hike deal. They had been demanding an 8% wage increase. They went out to go and get a mandate uh, from their members as well. So let's understand what's happening here. Claude Nike is the spokesperson for the Public Servants Association. Claude, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. What is the the status at the moment. Do you have a mandate from your members to accept a 7.5% offer? Very good afternoon to Mandy. Yes, uh, we started our mandating process a week ago. Uh, it concluded on Friday, very late on Friday, and we had to go through our internal processes. But the overwhelming majority of our members that have voted have supported the 7.5% average pensionable salary increase that's currently on the table. 
So we will um, finalize everything by today. Uh, obviously, a special bargaining council meeting will have to take place. The PSA, together with a few other unions that started off the wage negotiation discussion and continued with it, um, it seems to be that they also in agreement with the 7.5% that's currently on the table. Once that is signed, then it obviously will be effective from 1st April this year. So that's where we currently stand at this stage. Okay. Claude, thank you so much. Uh, Claude Nyker, spokesperson for the Public Servants Association, giving us an update there. So it does look as though this could be implemented by the 1st of April, which is good news uh, that we could have an agreement with the Public Servants uh, and Treasury as well, uh, agreeing to that. Uh, it does seem that it's up to Treasury now. And now also the South African Transport and Allied Workers Union, Satawu, has now declared a dispute following a collapse in wage negotiations at the South African Road Passenger Bargaining Council. Let's understand that with Nokokanya Mtambo. Nokokanya, good afternoon to you. What is Satawu saying? Good afternoon, Mandy. I heard you were speaking just now to the PSA, and even though there does seem to be some sort of agreement on that side, we are still expecting some uh, volatility in some other parts of the labor market, as is the case here with Satawu, that's calling for a 9% increase across the board for the 2023-2024 financial year followed by an 8% increase in the next financial year. But what the uh, organizations, the labor organizations, are willing to offer at the moment is 6% for the current financial year and 65 by the time we get to 2025, as well as some benefits uh, and allowances, including travel, night shift uh, allowance, as well as tools and cross-border allowances. But they've also said that what they are willing to do is only affect the offer if the uh, union, Satao, will drop the uh, calls for an increase in primary health care, in which, um, you know, responding to that, Satao spokesperson Amanda Chimese has said it's completely nonsensical, to put it in categorical terms, that they would uh, want to affect such an offer that excludes primary health care. Mandy, and I'll, I'll have you listen to Amanda Chimese in her response to what the, uh, the, the, the labor organizations are offering compared to their demands. It is not true that uh, the employer is not making or generating enough money because you remember that when we had a strike in one of the uh, bus companies in Gauteng, the employer actually revealed to us that they were losing millions of friends on a daily basis. Now, how do you come back to us when we are asking for a mere increment of 10% and you're telling us that you do not make money. So it is not true that there is no money. There is money. The employer is just being greedy. So that's Satawu declaring a dispute following a collapse in wage negotiations. Thanks to Nokokanya Mtambo for that. Uh, so that's the one side. And then, and then we've got a situation with the public servants, which look like they are about to sign the 7.5% wage offer. It comes and it goes. It uh, uh, swings and roundabouts. That's what it is. The Midday Report. Uh, Mindy, I think uh, this minister must be given a chance, as we are supposed to, uh, he will make statements that may seem contradictory at times. Maybe he's still excited about the new position of being a minister. So we shouldn't be angry at him when he makes such statements. He must just be given a chance to prove himself. So, yeah, I, 
I'm hoping that uh, he will get things right. Uh, because since he took over, the, the load shedding is not as bad as it was before. Thank you. I think Dr. Ramakhopa has been given only one big mandate by the president to spread the narrative that there's no corruption at ESCOM. And, but I don't think he's doing a good job of it. This is Joe in Edinville. Can one bring COPE into disrepute? Is it even remotely reputable, Leonard in Hermanus? Thank you very much for those WhatsApp voice notes. Uh, lots of response. I'm not sure what the response is to the initial voice notes about Josienzo Ramachopa, the Minister of Electricity. It's interesting. He's been going around to power stations, very publicized, having a look at power stations. I'm not sure what a good assessment he can get from very publicized visits to these places because you're not going to see the corruption happening in full view of you. Um, and he's saying it's not about corruption, but yes, we should give him uh, the benefit of the doubt. He's just come into the position, but keep those WhatsApp voice notes coming the midday report employment stats are out from stats sa quarterly employment statistics for the fourth quarter of last year total employment increasing by 48,000 or 0.5 percent quarter on quarter from 9,920,000 in september to 9,968,000 in december matlapane masupia is the director for quarterly employment statistics survey at stats sa good afternoon thank you very much for your time today what else do the numbers tell us about jobs in south africa in the fourth quarter of last year thank you so much and also to say listeners the results for quarter four 2022 it shows that a number of people employed is 9,968,000 which is an increase of 48,000 from 9,920,000 and year on year unfortunately the number showed that employment is up by 94,000 looking at the down into part-time and Full-time, by full-time, we are referring to those working 40 hours or more per week, and part-time are those working less than 40 hours per week. The results are as follows. For quarter 4,22, people were employed on full-time basis, mm-hmm. while 1,097,000 were employed on part-time basis. Taking the, the movement okay. between the two, mm-hmm. Taking the movement between the two full-time quarter and quarter increased by 6,000, but year on year it is dropped by 9,000. Part-time quarter and quarter increased by 42, but year on year it decreased by 85,000. The biggest increase in the uh, formal non-agricultural sector, we saw jobs rise there. In terms of the breakdown of the different sectors, where, where are jobs being created? Yeah, looking at the contribution by industry, the first one is trade which increased by 49,000, 26,000 coming from full-time and 23,000 part-time. The second industry to contribute to that increase is business services with 9,000. 8,000 coming from part-time and 1,000 coming from full-time. Mining showed a decrease, uh, an increase of 2,000. However, we have industries, the following construction, electricity manufacturing decreased by 10,000, construction, electricity, and manufacturing a decrease of 1,000. Community and transport didn't show any change. Matlapani, thank you very much. Matlapani Masupia is the Director for Quarterly Employment Statistics Survey, giving us a breakdown there of the latest jobs numbers.
The Midday Report. Now, earlier this week, a key rhino smuggling kingpin, Chief Clyde Mnisi, was shot dead. He died from multiple bullet wounds. He was shot near the Kruger and Pumalanga International Airport near White River. He was recently appointed as Chief of the Mnisi Tribal Authority in Bushbuck Ridge, but he's a key feature in a, a report, um, an investigation that was done by the researcher Julian Rademeyer into this rhino smuggling syndicate, which has exerted influence over a large swathe of territory along the Kruger's western boundary. And he really is seen as one of the, the big men of rhino poaching. Uh, Julian Rademeyer, the director of the Eastern and Southern Africa at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime, joining us to speak about this. Julian, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Chief Clyde Mnisi, he is known as one of the, the big men of rhino smuggling. He's seen as one of the kingpins, kingpins. He was gunned down earlier this week. What do we know about this shooting and why Mnisi could have been killed? Thanks, Mandy. Um, to, to go back a little bit, this is, uh, you know, an extremely, uh, or Nisi fits in, Clyde Nisi fits into an extremely complex web of organized crime in Mpumalanga, which pulls together three key figures uh, involved in rhino poaching, but also involved in issues like um, cash, uh, cash and transit heist, extortion, money laundering. Uh, some of them have been repeatedly linked to ATM bombings. So it's not just Rhino Horn, it goes far beyond that. And that includes uh, Petrol Sidney Mabuza, who was uh, better and more respectfully known by his clan name of Shengu, and a notorious ex-policeman, Big Joe Nyalunga, uh, who has been in and out of trouble with the law since at least 2009, probably going back further. Um, and Amnesi's death bears all the hallmarks of an organized crime hit, um, you know, you have balaclava-clad gunmen in a BMW X5 uh, shooting him multiple times with AK-47 rifles uh, shortly after saying, to, you know, um, finding him next to the airport road in Pumalanga and saying to him, you know, you thought you could get away from us. We've got you now. Um, and, you know, this is and that is the, the second hit of a key figure in this uh, triumvirate of, of poaching kingpins. Uh, uh, Mshengu himself was assassinated in 2021 uh, while sitting in his vehicle outside the Lowfeld Mall in Haiti View and holding court and according to some, uh, you know, dealing with people who owed him money uh, for his loan sharking business. So Mnisi was arrested in 2018, very high profile, assets worth millions were seized, um, and then he was arrested again uh, not too long ago. He, earlier this month, in fact, he was charged with a variety of crimes, including theft and conspiracy to commit a crime. How is it that such a high profile individual, such a kingpin, is still out? He was acquitted, he was out on bail. If everyone knows that he is this kingpin, if we've got the, uh, the intel that it's there, why was he not behind bars? I think the, you know, I think that in this case, the, well, the case itself was going to trial next month. It had been set down for six weeks, uh, for trial. Um, of several accused, including a number of, of former police officers, uh, plus, uh, you know, in the Alunga. So now we have two key accused who are no longer going on trial. Um, obviously, Nisi, who's now been murdered, and Nshengu, who was murdered in 2021. But I think that this also points to a much deeper issue in Pumalanga, where uh, organized crime has taken root. Um, you know, this is a province that has a long history of corruption, dating back to before it even came into existence formally in 1994. 
Um, and there's a governance void that exists. And where there's a governance void, illicit economies will take root, parallel economies will develop. Uh, and, you know, this often occurs in, in tandem with an absence of law enforcement or where you have law enforcement who are too corrupt or too afraid to take on uh, these bosses. And people like Inisi, people like Big Joe and Yalunga and Mabuza um, become people that are respected, that are looked up to. Um, you know, you'll see on Facebook, on their profiles, there are many people who are mourning their debts. Uh, you know, when they were applying for bail, there were protests outside the courtroom and people were saying that they were dependent on them to, to earn a living. Uh, we've seen statements today from Mandela CB, the controversial cooperative governments and traditional affairs, MEC, and also the ANC treasurer in the province, saying that he is deeply saddened by MEC's assassination and that this has left a significant void in the institutional traditional leadership in the province. So, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a parallel world that exists almost where gangsters and um, politicians have become the people to look up to and the people that you would expect people to be able to look up to are simply uh, not there. You know, this is a province where there's nearly 50% unemployment, where communities are forced to block roads leading to the Kruger National Park to protest over the fact that they haven't had running water or electricity or proper sewage since 1994. So there are enormous challenges here, and there's an elite clique that is getting wealthy. Uh, there's an elite clique that is deeply hooked in with, with organized crime. Um, and it, it poses a very real and very existential threat. Julian, as always, thank you so much. Julian Rademeyer is the Director of East and Southern Africa, the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. He's uh, written books, he's done research, he's wrote this report, Landscapes of Fear, about rhino smuggling, speaking to us there about this very much uh, looks like a contract killing, a hit, an assassination of Chief Clyde Mnisi, uh, one of the alleged kingpins who was due to go on trial. He was uh, shot multiple times near the Kruger and Pumalanga International Airport. Uh, five hooded men drove up in a BMW X5, walked to the passenger side, opened fire with high caliber rifles. And as he says, it very much is about this governance void and this nexus between politics and organized crime and the police. And that's what we're seeing in Mpumalanga. The Midday Report. Well, speaking of uh, corruption, the state has called its first witness in the Estina fraud trial. This is a key state capture trial, of course, two alleged Gupta associates on trial in connection with the 37.7 million rand fraud case. They have pleaded not guilty to all the charges leveled against them. Kamal Basram and Salish Indurjith appearing at the Pretoria Regional Court. Cindy Siwe Saboka is the investigating director at spokesperson. Cindy Siwe, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, this is of course, is a, a key state capture trial that we're seeing proceeding here. Uh, the state has called its first witness. Uh, are you confident of uh, the prosecution's case? Uh, we're definitely behind the team that is actually leading evidence as we speak currently. Uh, we continue with the first witness. Um, seven more witnesses are expected to be called. Um, looking at the amount of evidence that still has to be adduced, uh, the, the court, and also looking at the court diary. Um, the matter was set tomorrow as well. However, it will then set again in April. Three days have been allocated for this particular matter. You've called your first witness. Uh, who is it? And just if you can give us a bit more detail on that. 
So the first witness that we called is a senior SARS investigator with 40 years experience. Uh, Pete basically uh, talking in court currently, uh, testifying about um, how the custom clearance submission was related to nine shipping containers that carried different dairy equipment, uh, purportedly from Gateway Limited uh, from the UAE, was basically brought back into the country and the like. So he currently understands uh, about that. I must also mention that the accused currently before court face charges of fraud, contravention of Section 5401A of the International Trade Administration Act and contravention of Regulation 22 of the Exchange Control Act. And both of these accused are in the dock because of the joint investigation between ourselves and SARS. Cindy Siwa, thank you very much. Cindy Siwa Saboka, the investigating directorate spokesperson, confident there about the state's case. And of course, we will be watching this very much a litmus test for the investigating directorate, the two alleged Gupta associates on trial in connection with the 37.7 million rand fraud case, all of that relating to the Free State Estina Dairy Project. The Midday Report. The suspended public protector Bosisiwe Mkwebani continuing with her testimony at her Section 194 inquiry into the fitness to hold office. She has been speaking about some of the investigations that she conducted while she was the public protector or not suspended at least. She spoke about how her office undertook that investigation into President Cyril Ramaphosa's CR17 campaign. That investigation, if you remember, happened after Musi Maimane raised concerns about that alleged 500,000 rand payment that was received from Bosasa. And the report found against Ramaphosa, it was then set aside by the High Court in 2021. Have a listen to what she's been saying. Even this matter was allocated to a chief investigator. I was investigating with him. Uh-huh. And they have experience in the field. Uh-huh. They are the ones who then proposed these three issues which are referred to, uh-huh. which I, I said... They then said, these are the three issues based on the complaint of Mr. Maimani. We have identified the following three issues, which I agreed with. So it was an open mind uh, kind of investigation. Uh, and at any rate, independently sourcing the information, the investigators, analyzing the evidence. And then I agreed with them because they also convinced me that these are the issues we are going to deal with, but because we don't have jurisdiction over um, criminal matters, Section 6, Subsection 4 allows us to refer the matter to any other authority, which that's what we... So I don't agree with the fact that it was not an open uh, mind kind of uh, investigation or we dealt with issues with that uh, um, issue of possibly trying to find anything wrong no matter what the circumstances no matter what the evidence points to exactly was to see when Kobane being led through her evidence by advocate Dali and Paul for SC EWN reporter Lindsay Dentlinger watching that one Lindsay good afternoon to you take us through some of Busisi Wem Kobane's testimony 
Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, by and large, we've spent um, the morning talking about that CR17 Bursasa matter. And really the upshots of Busisiru and Kobani's testimony is that she was just working with uh, on the basis of the evidence that's before her, Mandy. As you heard in that clip there, she says it's untrue that she didn't approach that investigation with an open mind and that she would go as far as to make amendments to the wording of the executive code of ethics just to get to the president. She said she cannot believe that former Constitutional Court Judge Besson Kabinde would come to such a conclusion about her and that anybody, she says, even a primary school child, if they are shown the evidence of the movements of money, Mandy, from one account to the other made, um, these donations made to President Sol Ramaphosa's CR17 campaign, the, on the face of it, she just couldn't ignore the fact that there was a prima facie case for the uh, NPA to investigate money laundering. Lindsay, thank you very much. Lindsay Dentliger, EWN reporter, watching that progress being made in the trial, the trial, the inquiry. Busisiwe Mkwebane's fitness to hold office. She's still on the stand and she's being taken through her evidence and also facing cross-examination there. The Midday Report. Speaking of progress, we are finally seeing some progress in the Zandile Mafe case, the Cape Town High Court ordering the alleged parliament arsonist to undergo 30 days of mental health observation at an Eastern Cape psychiatric hospital. Kevin Brunt was in court for us. He's in our Cape Town studio now. Kevin, good afternoon to you. Uh, finally, there's some movement in this case. Good afternoon to you, Mandy. Definitely so. Judge Nathan Erasmus in a very clear detail outlined as to why Zandile Mafe has been allowed to undergo this mental health observation at an Eastern Cape facility. As we've pre- previously reported, he does not want to be admitted at Falkenberg Hospital anymore, and that is because of uh, previous bad experiences that he's had there before, and that is the only indication that the court has so far received with regard to what exactly transpired at Falkenberg. We now today also learned that the National Health Department will be conducting an investigation with regard to this specific incident. We know that Mafia was shortly after his arrest um, in January last year. He was then admitted at Falkenberg Hospital, a decision that was later overturned by the same court. But we will get some clarity with regard to that investigation. But indeed, he will now today leave for the Fort England Psychiatric Hospital in Makanda. We'll undergo at least a 30-day mental health observation and is expected to be back at the Western Cape High Court on the 8th of May. We spoke to his defense attorney, Lovuya Godla, outside court, and this is what he told us, Mandy. It's a matter of Criminal Procedure Act. Assessment should take place within 30 days. Hence, now it was a 30-day period, and he will be back to appear in the Western Cape again on the 8th of May. Mr. Godler, how does Mr. Mafe feel in court? It seemed like he was willing to cooperate, instructing the court, or at least you to inform the officials at Polsmoor that he is going there or what the developments are. Yeah, remember, Mr. Mafe is not opposed to mental assessment. It's an issue which we dealt with it initially. Now he is comfortable. All what he requested was that he does not want to be referred to Falcon hospital for assessment. He was not opposed to assessment per se, but the place of assessment, that was the main issue. Thank you, Kevin Brandt, Eyewitness News reporter, bringing us the latest in the Zandile Mafe court case. The Midday Report.
That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. The Midday Report.